welcome to Amona Moment, a podcast hosted by the Museum of Northwest Art in LaConnor, Washington. On November 10th, 2019, Mona hosted their second Coffee with Local Artists event, this time featuring the renowned local artists Chris Ekstrand and Elizabeth Tapper. Hear from Chris and Elizabeth about their art process and journey as artists in this talk. If you enjoy our podcast, please also consider leaving us a review. Also, our upcoming events at Mona are listed on our website at www.monamuseum.org. And if you would like to attend one of our upcoming events, you can find them all on our website and RSVP there. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy this Mona moment. Uh, well, my name is Chris Exrand. My studio is in Edison. I've been in the Valley for, um, I don't know, 35 or 40 years. And um, uh, my wife is inextricably linked with where I live and the life I have. Um, I was going to show you a um, a um, biographical slideshow of myself, but actually I spared that because I gave Lauren the wrong thumb drive. So, <laughs> and in giving her the wrong thumb drive, trust me, it could have been a lot worse. It could have been full of my dog's pictures or something. But, uh, anyway, it happens to be my a group of my monotypes, and I think in a way it'll be much better because it pertains more to. Um, Elizabeth's work and her uh, remarks today. Um, I love being here with Elizabeth. She's one of my best friends. We've known each other for years. I worked as her assistant in her Intelio studio. Uh, we grew up in uh, very Swedish families, so we have shared a lot of um, junk <laughs> in the studio, well, which is very, and she could tell you more about that, uh, working at a studio together over a press is a very intimate experience because the hours go by and you talk about life. So anyway, Elizabeth, it's so great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I grew up in a small town in northwestern Montana next to the Stillwater River. I never met another artist. My family, like Elizabeth's, were not artists. Uh, I don't know whether they understood they had an artist in the family, uh, but my mother did. Uh, so when we moved to Seattle uh, when I was a teenager, she somehow managed to get me painting lessons with uh, Liam Derbyshire on Capitol Hill, who was a wonderful British um, <coughs> painter. And I took my paint box and went up there every Saturday morning on the bus to Broadway and Pike and um, took painting lessons in his studio. And um, then went on to um, really get an interest in when I was a teenager and went to PLU because um, two Iowa State printmakers had started an Italian program there. Um, and that really gave me my background in, um, in printmaking. Um, I spent some time on the East Coast. I came back to the Northwest and lived with my husband in a number of places in the Northwest Washington, or Washington State. But um, I have to say the thing that um, really <coughs> began those early years that held the rest of my life together, both in the studio and everywhere, was drawing. And I drew outside, I drew from the landscape. 
uh, I had, when we moved to um, the Skagit Valley, I had a very busy life. I was working full time. I, we were raising a daughter. She was in college. I was really involved in the community. And there were times when I felt my studio life slipping away from me. And I know that there's many people right here today who can identify with that. But, um, when your life in the studio begins to um, drift away, you feel like yourself is drifting away. And there were times when um, I felt like I was just hanging on to it. And it wasn't that the rest of my life wasn't important. I loved it. But drawing really helped. Um, drawing was always there and always helped kind of hold me together. And uh, one memory I have that just came up recently was um, I was a public affairs director at Skagit Valley College for many years. And the, one of the good things about that was um, that if there was a live drawing session going on in the art department, I could take a break from my office and go over to the art building and draw from a model for an hour. So I ran into somebody uh, recently who um, had been a student at that time. And we were chit-chatting, and she said, oh, you were that woman. <laughs> and she said, I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, we used to talk about it, because she said, the model would get set, the door would fling open, and this woman in a navy blue suit and high and heels would walk in, slam down her drawing board, draw for an hour, and then walk out. <laughs> I said, well, that was me. <laughs> so, but that helped. And um, then there was a year when I was working and traveling quite a bit for my work and um, was not spending much time in the studio. And I committed to myself to do one um, self-portrait a day. And I, I, when, I saw, I mean, when I say self-portrait, I mean, some of them were done on cocktail napkins. I have several that were done in, um, the, and they were watercolor. I don't know how I did this, but they were this big, and they were uh, done in um, airplane restrooms. <laughs> and I have a number that were done in hotel rooms. But then, you know, then I just felt like I uh, had a grip on things, so they got bigger at home when I was in my studio. They later led to a, a long series of uh, monotypes or a combination of Italian and monotypes that were self-portrait-like images, but then they became, of course, portraits of other people. And I showed them by the gallery. I think I showed them at Art Supply for you. So um, that kind of helped me together. And all these drawings sort of fed into um, other work that was there for me when I had time to be there with it. That, for instance, I have a whole series of big drawings from North Cascades, big by big, I mean, three by four, uh, done outside along the highway next to ditches. Uh, I have a whole series of drawings from the uh, Moses Cooley and Grand Cooley area that became uh, sort of uh, long field journal sketches that were shown at the Mosasite Museum. Um, and then, of course, the farmland drawing that I have done around here for years. And one of those actually is with, shown with my work at Arts Alive this weekend, if you just have time to walk down to Maple Hall and see those. 
Um, so, you know, growing up by a river, living by rivers and uh, watersheds my whole adult life, I feel like, you know, they all feed into something. My drawing over the years has all really been tributaries into the work that I'm doing now. And you can look at my website and do see my current work. Besides Elizabeth, there's been a number of people, I want, a couple of people I want to mention uh, who have uh, said things over the years that have stuck with me. One is my friend, Jesus Guillant, who is here in the valley. He lives just one blocks up the street. And he came here as a migrant farm worker and was a farm worker for decades um, until he was able to paint more full time. But when he was 68, he told me, I feel like I'm, I'm running out of time, but not of ideas. And the other one was Michael Spafford, who we were, I can remember we were standing downstairs looking at one of his Italian prints, which you probably printed, you know, and um, we're standing about 10 feet away from it. And um, at that point, uh, his eyes, eyesight was failing. And, um, so I was making an observation about the, the print. And he said, well, you know, actually, um, I can't see it that well. But um, I just get up in the morning, I go to my studio, and I work with things that I can't see. And he said, so are you in artist? So this was at one of the points of my life where I was working full time. I was doing about 10 million other things. And I started to launch into this explanation that we've all done for artists saying, well, you know, not really. Not right now. I'm not right now. Got some other things going. And he just like, he said, it will always be for you. It is not, it will always be there for you. It doesn't change. You can leave for an hour. You can leave for a year. You come back to your studio, it's there. So he it was a very kind thing for him to say to me at just the right moment. So, my works of Arts and Life down the street right now, there's three paintings and sort of a vintage drawing um, that I consider to be sort of the wellspring of my paintings. And um, you can, of course, look at my paintings on my website. But right now, I'm just going to flip through a um, series of uh, <coughs> monotypes because um, 
they're, my, they're fairly small, but paintings now are fairly big. And one more thing I would like to say about my paintings is that they have grown size-wise in the past few years. I've moved to a studio with a little bit more space. But I have to say, um, my framer is here today, Lisa Hurry. And I honestly do not think I could be working on this scale without having Lisa as my partner in the ballet framing. Because at my age, I did not think I could schlep things back and forth to Seattle or, God forbid, build them myself. So, Lisa, um, thanks so much. So let me just flip through these. Uh, you will see they're all about the. Um, is it up? Um, they are uh, scale-wise, but like this, they're all um, monotypes. They're seasonal. They're all based on Im uh, imagery, images from the Skagit and um, Samish watersheds. And the structures or the objects um, found within those things Within those within those regions, uh, I do a lot of drawings of nests. Some of you may have seen those. They're large scale. They're at least a four by three, something like that. Um, I got interested in them because of the architecture and the energy around them, and they have started to tell, I guess, maybe a more emotional story too. Lots of these are monotypes, some of them are drawings. I hope the registration is okay in these out there. I can't really tell here. Um, and then this is the way my drawings have looked um, installed. Uh, the field drawings I have done in Moses Cooley, Grand Cooley, the North Cascades, and Fur Island is I've often shown them um, unframed, um, pinned to the wall with magnets so that they flutter uh, like they did when I was outside drawing them. And the other thing is I wanted them, to, I've always wanted them to appear more like, you know, field journals that you artists take around and draw outside like this. I wanted it to read, I wanted the drawings to read like that, but on this scale. So, um, and then those th are three of my monotypes. And this is at the Moses Lake Museum. So I would just say, um, I treasure my life as an artist. I'm grateful for every day I spend in the studio. Um, somebody asked me the other day, do you have any trouble making time to go to the studio? And I said, I have to remind myself, I have a husband and a domestic life. <laughs> you know? um, so um, I'm happy also to be here with you and my friend Elizabeth. And uh, may I say a couple words? But, um, <clears throat> Elizabeth has had a rich life, which she will tell you about, uh, and she's also and a lifelong um, a, a life as as an artist. Uh, but she's also been one of the most intentional, made some of the most intentional choices about being a printmaker, uh, being an artist. Uh, her life in the studio, and I have admired that very much. Um, and not to mention, I am always grateful to be friends with women who are sort of on the path ahead of me because I have learned a lot about um, aging and um, family and uh, what means the most to us by being around Elizabeth. So thank you.
Thank you. Really enjoyed being able to hear all about your art and your life. Does anybody have questions for Chris? Yes? Uh, this is more of a process or a technical question, Chris. Um, so my understanding of a monoprint or a monotype is that you're you're painting onto a surface, you're printing it onto paper, and there's only one. So is that yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. Uh, and so it differs from what Elizabeth does um, in intaglio printing because an intaglio plate, as she will explain to you, is incised and the ink is down in those lines, whereas monotype is often called the painterly print because it's much more like painting. If you're printing, you're painting on a hard surface, you're working up an image, you're putting a lovely piece of red paper over it, you're putting it through a press under a couple thousand, thousand pounds of pressure, and things are happening while you're not there. And then in my case, as you could probably see from those monotypes, then I paint and I print over that same image again and again and again. So the history of that color builds up, right? field sketches, they were just big. So I didn't, in a way, want to pretend that they were um, anything, that they were anything else but immediate drawings. And I have to say, a few years ago, uh, we put together a show here of Elizabeth's uh, intaglio prints of hers and also other artists she had worked with. And um, Lisa framed, Lisa is Elizabeth's daughter, in case you didn't know that. And. Um, Elizabeth and Lisa framed them without glazing, without glass, and so that you could see um, what the, would see more about what the craft was like. And not many museums would have gone along with that, I don't think. Right. And then your description of that they would move as you walk by. Oh yeah, the doors would open and they would flutter. <laughs> That's really nice. Yeah, it was great. Well, thank you again. And next we have Elizabeth Taffer. I'm just gonna get your presentation all set. Um, I have a wall in my studio that I refer to as the wall of wisdom. And there are things there that I think I should remember, things that inspire me, things that educate me, and things that comfort me. So I found something that I think I'd like to share with you. I begin with an awareness, a sensation, an experience, an idea. Sometimes a place, a view, a sound, a person, or an image. At first it is a color, or a line, or a shape. 
What I have then begins to change, to have a voice of its own. A dialogue follows between what has been created and my response. This continues until there is a completion or sometimes a diminishing return. This is my description of the creative process. And I have to say that the creative process is huge in my life. My life would not have been like it is if I didn't have that urge. One of the things that my work started with years, many years ago, and I, I'd like to share with you, she says she's approaching 70, I'm approaching 90. <laughs> so you'll forgive me if I forget something or if I can't hear you. <laughs> anyway, what I did first was portraits, and I did quite a few at a period of time. Um, and the thing I discovered while I was doing this um, is I would have a conversation with the person I was painting. And that, and not an ongoing conversation, but just sort of a brief exchange now and then. And I found that that made the person come alive to me and made the portrait more accurate. Um, uh, this went on for quite a while. <laughs> and then I discovered Sam Davidson's first gallery in Seattle, which was quite small. And that was my first, although I knew about prints before, but this was my first exposure to it in, in a direct way. And also the work of Art Hansen is, is in, was in his gallery. And I want to say right now that Sam Davidson has been a huge asset to the printmaking community. And we're all very, very grateful to him for what he has done. Um, then I also discovered that there often was a class or a workshop in Seattle that I could join and learn from. And um, that went on for quite a while. And as a result, I began to look at prints in a different way. The word print is commonly used to explain a copy of something else. But the print in Printmaking is a totally different story altogether. In order to create a print, you have to have a base, which is often a plate, metal plate, or it can be a wooden. There's a wooden one over there. <laughs> and, um, or uh, it can also be um, uh, even a glass, which is a more recent development, is to using glass as a plate to work on. And so the image that the artist has in mind is put, developed on that plate, whether painted on, rolled on, and the plate has to have a surface, a very interesting surface in order to produce a variety of visual experiences. So there's lots of different ways to do that. And um, one of the things that I have done fairly recently is to look up the history of print making. Now, it, two of them go way, way, way back. China had a vast printmaking uh, art in their community, and so did um, Japan. And uh, the one uh, had to do more with using wood as a surface to develop, and the ones in Japan were more using a silk as a something to use as a screen in which you develop the image on. Um, 
then I have looked into an artist that I would really recommend you all pursue. It's that's um, a printmaker named Durer in, in Germany in the 15th centuries. And sometime if you, you want to be blown away completely, look him up on the internet. He was incredible, absolutely incredible. And his, his father was, worked in metal, and he had a, a, a person, sort of a godfather, that took an interest in and, and per, developed, helped him develop a career. But his woodcuts are just absolutely incredible. I really encourage you to look it up. The other thing that happened during his lifetime was that engraving became a very popular skill in that time, in the history of art. And I wish I were there when this happened, because I know that it happened. That he had taken an engraving and then inked it up to see if a print could come out of it. And I wish I had been there. <laughs> that discovery was enormous. And um, the engraving, the skill used at that time was to do an en engraving. You had to use a very precise tool and a variety of tools in order to create the kind of line that you wanted to. And the printmaking process that's closest to that now is an etching. And once you do an etching, you, you um, coat the surface of the plate with a, uh, a material that is acid resistant. And you draw through this, engrave through this to expose the metal, and then you put it in an acid bath. And the acid bath creates the line. Now there's one print plate up there you really need to take a look at it. Uh, the artist is uh, David Harrison, and I did a lot of work with David. His work is exquisite, really. Uh, there are other processes that, that are now even active now. And um, etching is one, using the plate. Uh, the silk screen is another, where you use the silk screen on a uh, basis, and that is the texture of that silk screen is what determines what the image is going to look like, because the ink is rolled across the surface, and then what comes through to, on the other side gives you the image. Uh, and of course, each time you change your color or the shape of what you're going to do, oh, I see, <laughs> I'm not talking, but this is one of the first portraits that I ever did. Let's continue. And uh, I'll just show you a few of it. These are the portraits I have done a long time ago. One more. And one more. And my father posed for that. <laughs> and this is a self-portrait. Um, when I uh, discovered the process of printmaking, I was, I was just really taken with it and the possibilities of it. And line has always been important to me. So when you can use line effectively, that appeals to me. Um, and the woodcuts are, there's a, there's a, that furthest one over is a woodcut where you actually cut out areas of the wood so that the ink doesn't get into that area. The ink is only on the surfaces that you have left exposed. Um, 
There's also another process, lithograph, which I haven't gotten into very much, and that is based on the principle that oil and water don't mix. The plate you use is stone, which has a uh, granular surface. And uh, when you draw on that, it, it covers the upper part of it, and then the lower parts, um, because there's a sort of a wash put over the plate, it resists. So it's, it, it's the principle of oil and water don't mix. So you set up the plate so that what you draw on there will attract the oil, the printing oil, and what you don't want it to print will resist. Um, then there, there's another thing that has fairly recent in the development of printmaking, and that is um, the uh, calligraphy which was actually designed by Glenn Alps, who was a very active printmaker. We owe Glenn a lot, too. And um, he started to glue things onto the surface. And painters will sometimes use this as a device in their canvases. Will glue other things on it, uh, pieces of paper or other kinds of shapes. So you're creating a surface that has a, a different look. It changes. There are some downstairs in the shoe downstairs that are very much an example of that. Um, so that's called calligraphy, and um, it's pretty popular now. But that did not exist in the times of Durer. <laughs> this is something our generation has contributed to the process of printmaking. Can we have some more? Ah, okay. I was doing other things besides portraits at that time. This is called Incoming Tide. I have always lived near water. <laughs> and um, this is in inevitable for me to paint this. And another one. And this is an etching. This was uh, one of my first etchings. And um, that was the process that grabbed me the most of all the processes that you could use to make prints. Um, and uh, we can keep going. Uh, and then I sort of moved into more abstraction. That was a period of my time. This is actually a figure sitting there, <laughs> but abstracted. And um, that has a title. Turn the radiator on on a cold day and feel the warmth fill the room. Now one more. And this is a silk screen. Uh, it's called Harbor Island, and I believe I was out doing drawing at Harbor Island, and then came back to the studio and decided to work with the images that I was seeing. Good. Uh, and this, if you can look at it carefully, it's you're sitting in the, next to the driver in the car. And see the rearview mirror up there? And the glasses on the driver, and, and this is a, a real, real image, but it's been abstracted to basically design. So you don't even have to look at the driver in the car or know that's what it is, that it exists by itself, independent. Um, one of the things that happened to me during this period of time was I did meet Art Hansen, and we were able, I was able to work with him. And so together, I think we worked almost 30 years together. And with the way I was able to do something for Art, his line is just superb. If any of you have ever seen Art Hansen's work, you'll recognize that the, light is just, the line is just beautiful. 
then he would hand color areas with watercolor. And so what we did eventually turned out doing is I made the plates to print the color instead of watercolor, and the difference was remarkable. And that's the way we worked for a number of years. I'm very grateful to Art for that experience. Um, and I was at this time also printing for other artists. And um, some of the names you will remember, uh, Michael Stafford, uh, Elizabeth Sandvig, Gwen Knight, uh, Susan Benerstrom, Cloudy Fitch, Ann Gardner, Jeff, you know, we can go on. <laughs> and um, one of them was a, oh, that I shouldn't really tell you about my, my association with Kilchuk and how that came to be. Um, it was a time when Harvey Littleton, who's an artist, glass artist on the East Coast, had started to work with printing from glass plates. And there were several people on the faculty that, uh, that year who had worked with him and were in, interested in trying to pursue it. So they called um, I can't think of his name. Daniel. Dan Smith. Hmm? Dan Smith. Yeah. And they asked him for a press. And he didn't want to do this. So he came to me and he said, do you want to go up to Pilchuck and print for it up there? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> so I did go up. And that was one that I was first introduced to printing on um, glass plates. And I worked with some people that I really enjoyed working with and, um, from Pilchuk. Ann Wolf is one whose work, I don't know if you're familiar with, with these people's work, but they're remarkable artists. And one was Hans von Stockhausen. And I have to tell you a story about this because it, it again has to do with the understanding of creativity. When I was there, he had finished a window in the west wall of the cathedral at Ulm. The cathedral at Ulm is one of the very, very old um, cathedrals in Europe. And um, he had gotten involved with the museum because, or with the, with the uh, cathedral, because um, he had, um, he, after the war, an American military division chose to sponsor a window in the cathedral. And he was a student at the time. So he entered and he won it. So in that cathedral, the day we, we went down to the cathedral one day because the one in the west wall had just been installed and he wanted to see. So we went down and we walked up to the desk at the reception and the man at the desk bowed to him. And we went to look at the side chapel which had the Stations of the Cross in it. We sat there looking at these. And we looked at the new window that had been installed. It was round, and it was to the Holocaust. And what, this is one of my life's great experiences. I refresh myself every once in a while with it because of the value of the experience. And we came back uh, to home and had dinner. And it was very quiet. And his wife said something to him in German. And he responded. He had asked her, she had asked him why he was so quiet. And his answer was, if I had to do it again, I'd do it differently. 
that to me is one of the most beautiful expressions of the creative process that I have ever heard. And I, I speak of it, and it's right there in my mind again, and that experience, and how valuable that experience was. Let's see, and then, um, well, I think we have gotten almost to the end of what I have to say. Let's go a little further in the slides. Ah, this is a, a silk screen. Uh, let's keep going. And this is a silk screen. This is called Impact. And um, the silk screen involves the making of stencils. In other words, you have to block off the silk screen to a certain extent. You only want the color to pass through certain areas. So it's a little complicated, isn't it? <laughs> Shall we try again? Oh, and this is a uh, this is a holograph, and because these, I use different materials to wad up, to um, cut out, and and so I was building up a surface of the plate with these various ways of approaching it. That's called lost meteorite. <laughs> one more. Ah, and uh, this one is also done by the same process. Have a title for that one. And I think we're almost at the end. Oh, this is this is a print of mine from Glass Plate. It's one of the first ones I did when I learned how to do it. And I think there's one more. Oh, this is and this is the woodcut. That that plate over there is for. And this has a story behind it I would like to share with you. Uh, some years before, I had been teaching a children's art class. Um, middle, middle school art uh, students. We worked together for quite a while, and it was great, great experience for me, and apparently for the, the children in the class, too. But they gradually grew out of it and moved on to something more. And then one day, a young man who was from that class came to visit, to say goodbye. And he was on his way to Vietnam. He did not come back. I started to work on, there's another plate, on an homage to him. And, and then I got to the second plate and I couldn't do it. I just couldn't reach in and bring out what I wanted to express about that loss and what we are doing. And the title on this one is In Memoriam question mark because it's going on isn't it we didn't learn anything from the Vietnam experience uh, well if anybody oh I have one more thing to say <laughs> somewhere in the in the passage of these years oh okay this is this is the piece a lot of people became interested in getting Printing from glass plates established in Hilchuk. And I was very much involved in this. Glenn, Glenn Alps has got a signature. It was signed by a lot of people who felt very strong about having this program continue. And um, after this was done, this was sort of the hallmark that it was going to happen, and it has happened. Um, I, and I do want to add one other thing. One night, during the, the, the passage of years and the passage of experience and so forth, 
I woke up during the night and then reached over to write something down. So the morning I woke up and I looked at what I had written and this is what it said. I asked God, when do I get to enjoy the fruits of my labor? And God said, you don't, you learn to love the labor. Well, thank you, Elizabeth, and thank you, Chris. Just gonna give another round. Of and before we finish up today, I just want to open it up for questions for either Elizabeth or Chris. Let's see. Yes. What have you done with your art over the years? Oh. Uh, well, I've had uh, exhibitions here and there <laughs> now and then. <laughs> Um, and uh, the other thing I did, uh, because I have printer's proofs from everything I editioned, I had quite a collection. Of other and, people's works? Of other people, oh yes, it was other people's work that I was working with and that I would have. So I acquired quite a large collection, which I had used to donate to the museum at the auctions. Um, my pleasure. <laughs> What about your, some of those pictures, <coughs> some of those pictures, slides of your work there is just amazing. I'm sorry, can't hear you. Where is, where is your work now? Oh, well, the part of that is all my work. No, actually it's all. <laughs> and uh, Elizabeth's prints and the work she has done over the years are in her custody. Okay, well that's what I'm asking. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that was the question. It, it appears that there's some amazing Do you have a question in the back? Um, yeah. Yes. Building on that question, Elizabeth, have you shown your work in any in, in any full exhibition? Well, I had a show at Sam Davidson's at one time. Right. And that was quite a long time ago. Um, and your work was shown here in conjunction with the work that you did in collaboration with others. Yes. Yeah. And at Smith and Valley Gallery from time to time. Did you have a question to, yeah? Well, it isn't exactly a question, um, and I hope I get to this. The two of you have been very important to me in my journey, and um, especially with Elizabeth, I suppose we've had a friendship for decades, and uh, we have been appointed for decades, but with Elizabeth, she was someone I could go to her home and sit outside by her roses, have little glasses of wine and talk hours. And it was about cabbages and kings and arts of all kinds and silliness and it just was, it was a real pleasure to me. And you inspired me in so many ways to get back in the saddle, so to speak, because for health reasons I had about a 10 year delay, interruption, I should say, uh, of doing my work. And you, Chris, um, you may have no idea the influence you've had on me, so I'm just going to tell you right here. Um, I took a printmaking class from her, thinking maybe this will start the motor again, and found that I was not a printmaker. 
Monotype is a great breakthrough experience. Well, there's a couple people here who printed in my studio before, and um, they can attest from other artists we've worked with that I, I mean I've had um, I've had writers in my studio who have writer's block and came to make prints just to make something happen, um, yeah. or yeah. people struggling with depression yes. um, that just need to be someplace else for a weekend. So it, it, I think it's the immediacy maybe, but uh, I, I also have to say, I, I do teach a monotype workshop occasionally, and I have a group of artists who come once a month in an open studio situation to print. And um, Chris Elliott was the one who um, said she really enjoyed the workshop, and I said, well, you know, I'm not a professional teacher, I'm just an artist, and, you know. And she said, well, maybe you're not a professional teacher, you're like an enabler, but in a good way. <laughs> so I'm sticking to that. <laughs> well, the other thing you said to me, I think we were at um, Smith and Valley, and I was still having trouble. You know, it's a habit you get into. You have, you're either in a habit of not doing it or in the habit of doing it. And I, I was trying to get from one to the other. And you said, Chris, sometimes not to So there was, you know, not to get too much into this, the, uh, our environment now and our planet are first in my mind. I have no choice but to be artists. Hold up your mirrors. Yeah, absolutely. Really, what people see. Okay. I've got my Kleenex just in case I need it. <laughs> I love you both so Thank you. I'm doing a float for the parade for Friends of the Library. It's the Alice in Wonderland. If you see. And it is amazing. <laughs> and there's two blank spaces that haven't been done, so I'm working on one of the two. I'm about a third of the way done, and then I'll do the other one. It's panels. Panels, oh, yeah. Pinch panels. <laughs> of drawings, painting, painting. Yeah. Painting. And you know, I've had absolutely so much fun doing that. Wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Thanks for being here.